Hello, my name is Samuel George London, and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to writer and podcaster Matt D. Wilson about what comics he would take into a zombie outbreak apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Comic Scene, where you can read comic news and become part of a community of fellow comic lovers. To find out more, be sure to visit comicscene.org. On a side note, if you enjoy the show today, please, 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 please leave a review for us on iTunes, Spotify, whichever podcast service you use as not only will it let me know that you like it, but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, Matt D. Wilson. How's it going? All right. How are you, Sam? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Been a fairly productive day at work. Um, of course, like it's, it's evening here in the UK. Um, and whereabouts in the world are you? I am in uh, North Carolina on the east coast of the U.S. Uh, in the nice. not quite on the coast though, a little further uh, inland. No, not quite uh, Charleston. The, not quite Charleston, right? <laughs> in the mountains is where I am. Ah, very good, very good. Um, yeah, funnily enough, my um, my mother's partner he had a had a, an apartment in Charleston for a time. Um, so that's why I know Charleston is in North Carolina, but that, that's the extent of my uh, North Carolinan geography. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Uh, Charleston's great. I uh, I go there for vacations every uh, every now and again. So it was a good place, good place for him to be. Yeah, it's a good spot um, from what I've seen. Um, and uh, that that aside, uh, Matt, um, uh, what do you do in the world of comics? I do a lot of different things and have done a lot of different things over the course of uh, my time in the universe of comics, I suppose. Uh, First and foremost, I'm a writer. I have written a few comic book series uh, in my time. I wrote uh, Copernicus Jones Robot Detective for Monkey Brain Comics. I wrote Everything Will Be Okay, which I kickstarted and then was picked up by Caliber Comics. That was a five-issue miniseries. And then most recently, I have uh, Imposter Syndicate, uh, my second project with Rodrigo Vargas, who is a fantastic artist from Chile mm. uh, that, uh, that I've been working on and am funding right now on Zoop. But uh, I've also been a comics journalist. I used to write for Comics Alliance when it, it still existed. And uh, I, right. I would do comics reviews there and uh, articles about different things. Uh, and I also am a podcaster. I've been a podcaster for 13 years now, since 2010. Wow. Yeah, Uh War Rocket Ajax is my main podcast, the the comics related podcast that I do with Chris Sims, and ostensibly we that's an interview show. Although we've kind of gotten less and less into interviewing creators over the years, we still do. Uh, we we have some interviews scheduled over the next few weeks, but we also 
uh, we'll read through old comics and talk about them. We've been going through the Mark Grunewald run on Captain America recently. And we also uh, have a long running segment where we rank every comic book story ever made on a big wow. list. That's a big task. <laughs> yeah. It it has been going on since 20, I want to say 2014. And we are approaching wow. 1500 comics ranked. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well done. Well done. Thank you. Awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, of course, I've I've put all those uh, links in the show notes for folks to click through onto. Um, and uh, in particular, um, I'd like to talk about uh, Imposter Syndicate before we get into um, our our apocalypse. Um, so just to kind of give the, the listeners a quick flavor of what Imposter Syndicate is about, um, what is it about? So the idea for it sprung from the kind of trope you always see in superhero fiction of all kinds where a supervillain will seem to be in an accident where they would almost assuredly die. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they fall into the bay inside a flaming blimp mm-hmm. or, or they, you know, go over a waterfall or, or whatever it may be. Yes. Uh, the, the way that they are disposed of at the end of a story. And uh, it seems like they're dead, but then somehow inexplicably, they return uh, totally fine, ready with their next big scheme. And I always thought, well, what if they didn't survive that, but they got replaced behind the scenes mm-hmm. with somebody else who, who has taken on the role of, you know, whatever this supervillain is. And so that's the idea of imposter syndicate where, supervillains when they die or they retire or they just can't continue being a supervillain for whatever reason are getting replaced by actors who are taking on the role of this supervillain character, but they're playing them in the actual world, like really going and robbing a bank and getting beaten up by a superhero, but that's their job that they've been hired to do by a company that they don't even know who it was. It's a mysterious shadowy company that wants to make sure superheroes and supervillains keep fighting. Um, So in the first issue, we follow this actor named John uh, as he gets hired to replace this like C-list supervillain named the Bonobo. And, uh, (laughs) and, and then we meet more from there, but, but that's, that's kind of the idea. That's fantastic. It's a, it, it, it's a great premise, um, and it looks like a lot of fun. Um, I mean, Rod- Rodrigo's style is just perfect for yeah. it. Um, and so how, how did you guys uh, come across one another? It's pretty interesting. Uh, Rodrigo was a listener to War Rocket Ajax, hmm. and just kind of out of the blue, he emailed me, this had to have been seven or eight years ago now and said, if there's any art you guys want done, I just want to get my art out there for more people to see. Uh, so if there's any art you guys want done, let me know about it. 
And at the time we were doing these kind of uh, Patreon exclusive pieces of art for people who backed our Patreon. Mm. And so I think he thought, you know, we'd be asking him to do one of those, one of those pinups. But I said, yeah, would you want to do a comic together? And he said, well, what's the idea? And at that time I pitched him, everything will be okay, which was that first book we did together. And uh, that ended up being a great collaborative experience. Rodrigo gets it. He's, he's so clever and mm-hmm. so good. He's added jokes into imposter syndicate that I didn't put into the script. Um, he's just mm-hmm. really good at this stuff and an amazing artist. And so after we finished, everything will be okay and got it out there. I said, there's a superhero thing I've wanted to do for a really long time. Would you want to work on that with me? And I sent him the scripts and he liked them. And that's how we ended up working on imposter syndicate together. So uh, it's, it's been great. So cool that he just emailed out of the blue one day because he listened to the show. Uh, It's, it's turned into a really good uh, collaborate collaborative relationship that's awesome man that's so cool when those things kind of organically come about like that um very cool very cool um and of course as you said um it's uh it's funding on zoop right now and the the links in the show notes folks so go through click through to check out imposter syndicate whilst uh whilst matt and i talk about uh the zombie apocalypse so um what is your action plan for the zombie outbreak apocalypse i have actually had this idea in mind for years and years and years because my friends yeah my friends and i used to talk about what would we do in that very scenario uh a lot uh you know back in the when I was yeah. a teenager, young, you know, early twenties. So <clears throat> what I've always said I would do, cause you need to be in a place that zombies can't get to, and you need to be able to come and go for supplies. Right. So mm-hmm. I always thought a great place to be would be a fire station. Right. Because it has the pole. And I don't think zombies could climb up the pole. So get in the fire station, block off the stairwell, the staircase, Mm -hmm. with whatever you can to keep the zombies from going up the stairs. Uh, Even collapse it if you need to. And just stay on the upper level where you can leave using the, um, the pole to get down and out and then if you need to get back up quickly have some kind of like pulley system or like a a rope where people where the other people can raise you back up to the upper level um i'm sure in an actual zombie story that would go horribly wrong somehow but in in my head it could go horribly wrong but you know uh in my head it's a very smart a uh, place to to uh, to try to stay away from the zombies while also 
being able to leave and come back for for whatever supplies you might need. Totally, man. It's it's better than uh, than the pub in Shaun of the Dead. So, you know, it's <laughs> it's it's a good idea <laughs> for sure. Um, and uh, yeah, no. Um, so you're you're in the upper floor of a fire station. Um, and is anybody going to be with you? Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, a, a lot of times in zombie fiction, it's not necessarily who you choose. It's uh, mm. it's who whoever you end up with. But ideally, it would be uh, my wife, Marlene, and uh, my friends who I used to talk about this with all the time. Uh, that that would be excellent. The, my ideal group, yeah. Cool. Um, so you you all end up at the fire station, all hunky dory, um, and uh, you know you you manage to escape a big wave of of zombies, um, and but then one night, um, you and your friends start chatting about uh, about comics. Um, and kind mm-hmm. of, you know, um, the, the time before, um, and, uh, yeah, they, they start asking you some very specific questions. And the, and the first question that they ask you is what's your first comic you remember enjoying? The first comic I remember reading over and over and over again was, uh, action, action comics annual number three from 1991, which was, the action comics portion of the Armageddon 2001 event from that year. And uh, that is the issue where in the alternate future of Armageddon 2001, Superman is sworn in as president of the United States. And yeah, it's, it's a wild issue. I, it, it was one of those things where, you know, if you're seven or eight years old and you're reading a comic book, you don't quite get it all. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't know who wave white writer was. I just knew he looked cool. Uh, Cause he's in that issue. Uh, but I, I remember like just, I was the biggest Superman fan at that age. And I just remember like picking it up and just flipping through it and looking at the art and, and thinking everything looked super cool when I was that age. So that's the one, that's the one I remember really latching onto the most. That's awesome. And do you remember where you picked that up? I think it was given to me as a gift. Right. Cause my brother was really into comics in the early nineties. He, he was like a big time collector type. So he was buying all the number ones that were coming out like X-Men number mm. one and, Adjective with Spider-Man number one and uh, that kind of stuff. And I got into comics because he liked them. So we would sometimes go to the comic shop and I would just buy random issues. And also I occasionally would get random issues as gifts. Like I remember getting random issues of books in my Christmas stocking. And wow. I think cool. that was a book that was in my Christmas stocking uh, one year. It had to be 1991. Nice. So Santa got it for you. 
Yeah, I think so. <laughs> or or Father Christmas, if if that's your preference. Yes, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, oh, excellent, excellent. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, how how old were you at this stage? Sorry, I was around eight. eight around eight, yeah. right? Um, and so obviously you thoroughly enjoyed that. But when did you um, start to think about creating your own stories to become comics? I think when I was a teenager, uh, I I really liked comics as a kid, um, but but like I said, I would only kind of read issues here and there. Like I never, I I didn't have a complete story arc of a comic mm, <laughs> until right. I was in my teens, and it was then it was when I was probably fourteen or fifteen that I started picking up I, I had enough money too and started picking up full story arcs of comics and I would buy them from the newsstand and tr- try to put together runs and I also started noticing the names of writers and I started figuring out which writers I liked and because of that Eventually, I started to subscribe to comics through the mail. Uh, I cool. would, I would get the like full twelve month, you know, the comics come in the mail kind of deal. And it was around then that I thought, I like these writers. I would like to write like them, and I would like to write my own comics. So it was probably I was probably in my mid teens when I started thinking about that as a as a possibility. Nice. And and at that stage, um, were you drawing yourself or trying to get friends to, to do it for you? I wasn't I, I don't think I was trying to make them yet, but I certainly had given up on the idea of drawing the comics myself. I I did right. some of that when I was a smaller kid. Um like I would create my own characters or draw my own little comics. Uh, but it became very clear to me by 11, 12 years old that so many other kids my age had so much more artistic talent than me uh, <laughs> that I kind of just said, okay, that's not my purview. That's not where I'm going to succeed. But I was pretty good at the writing part. I was pretty good at coming up with the stories and and getting them on paper. So I had decided pretty much by then that I I maybe didn't have it uh, for the art, but the writing was something I could do. Nice. Nice. Excellent. Um, And so um, was, was your first one um, the, the one that you mentioned before, or was there one before that? The was my first are you the first, the first comic that you you properly uh, created or first story? You know, it could have been a short story, maybe yeah. an anthology or something. Yeah, I think the first comic I properly made was was probably Copernicus Jones' Robot Detective. Yes, which started as a web comic. I think that was coming. We I was doing that as a web comic in maybe twenty ten or so. Cool, and and I had gotten together with an artist and and done that because I was trying to make comics 
well before that. I had written scripts for comics right. in the early 2000s, but I had a really, really hard time finding artists to collaborate with. Yeah. And this this is obviously, for all the kids out there, this is a time before you could just go on online and find a whole host of, of artists that you could yeah. try, try, try and work together with on Reddit or something like that. You know, um, we just didn't have that facility back then. So yeah, much. There, 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 there were websites like forums. Yes. Where you could go try to talk to artists and, and find some sure. to work with, but it, it was, it was tough. If you didn't have something to show as far as already published work, or a name that people recognize. Um, yeah. it, it was tough to get anybody to work with you. Um, yeah. I mean, it's still tough to get artists to work with you now if you don't mm-hmm. have resources and and a backlog of stuff to show them. But yeah, it, it was it was harder. It was even harder back then. I, you, you're right. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's it's a case of numbers as well. Like, not all artists would have been online at that point, would they? Um, whereas now it's kind of it's a necessity for everyone for sure. <laughs> pretty yeah. much for the most part um and uh yeah no it was a completely different kettle of fish back then for sure um but uh yeah so you managed to to uh do your first um first comic kind of 2010 you say yeah it, it's like i said it started as a web comic and then uh, it became a monkey brain book like 2012, 2013. Great. Uh, and that, that, yeah, I, I had written some book books before that. Uh, like the supervillain handbook came out in 2012, but that's a prose mm-hmm. book. Cool. So my first actual comic came out a little after that, but pretty soon. And how did that relationship come about? Um, with uh, with the publisher, with Monkey Brain, yeah, uh, it sort of happened through podcasting. It uh, so Chris Robertson and Allison Baker were the publishers of Monkey Brain, uh, which was an early go at a a company that did all digital comics, right, and so we had them as guests on Ajax and at some point, I think after the recording session, I had mentioned the Copernicus Jones webcomic, And I think it was Chris Robertson who said, well, I'd like to see that. Let me, let me take a look at it. And, uh, and so I sent him the webcomic, and he said, yeah, let's, let's do something with this. And, and that's, that's how we got it, got it going as uh, awesome. as a monkey brain book yeah oh that's cool very cool another uh another organic um uh growth there very cool for sure nice man um now uh going back to the fire station um and back to your conversation with your friends and, and wife about comics uh the next question that they ask is what's the funniest comic or most laugh out loud moment in a comic that you've read uh, I would say the funniest comic and the one I recommend to people because I think it's kind of a hidden gem. It's it's one people don't necessarily know about. Uh, it's is a book called Tales Designed to Thrizzle by 
Michael Kupperman. I think it was released by Fantagraphics, I want to say. Um, And and nothing has come out from it in a little while. Uh, But around 2005 to 2009, uh, books were coming out pretty regularly uh, in that series. And they were all so, so funny. They're like super surreal and weird and like Pablo Picasso is a character uh, who chases around a hamburger. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's just <laughs> absolute, uh, ab- ab- absolute absurdism, you know, as a comic book. Um, yeah. So, so that, that's, that's, that's the one I, I would always say is, is my favorite. Uh, that's funny awesome. Comic. Cause yeah, no, I just, uh, just bring it up now. And yes, it is fancy graphics. Yeah. You're totally right. That, that, that published that. And the, uh, the cover, of volume one kind of yeah says the kind of the craziness of of what's inside there's a there's an astronaut uh-huh. from kind of like a, a classic 90s 1960s kind of sci-fi style rocket um and somebody dressed up in a bunny outfit um just looking at him so it's kind of like that just feels bizarre to look at this <laughs> it's kind of like this bunny rabbit looking at an astronaut um it's uh yeah um and uh there's some really nice uh you can look at a lot of the pages actually on michael's website um yeah which is which is which is, which is pretty cool um like snake and bacon is yeah snake, snake and bacon is they're like some of the only recurring characters awesome. in the book and it's just a snake that just goes it just hisses yeah, and bacon talks about things you can do with bacon. Yeah, it it only speaks in, you know, tips for how to eat and cook and serve bacon. <laughs> uh, a, another character I remember is the Manister, which is a, it's like a superhero who is a man that is a banister. Right, I got it by a staircase. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah the 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 thing that I that has become a meme from. Uh, Tales designed Thrizzle that I, I'm sure people have seen is uh, it's just a single page strip where uh, I think at the top it says, are, are comic books true art? And then the comic itself is just two cowboys arguing about it and getting into a fist fight. Amazing. About whether comics are art. <laughs> so fun. That's really cool. No, it looks like a lot of fun, um, and uh, yeah, no, I'm sure. I'm sure, you've had many, many a laugh out loud, loud moment with that one for sure. Yeah, anybody um, who hasn't checked it out, I I strongly suggest it. Uh, it's like I said, it's 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 the most surreal comic book I think I've ever read as as <laughs> as far as like surreal humor. Yeah, uh, so. for sure. It's like um, I d- I don't know if you've ever seen. Um, this TV show, but it's uh, li- the the League of Gentlemen. Okay, um, yeah, it's it's a really bizarre um, British comedy uh, that's you know <laughs> just really crazy and weird. I'll send you a link after the show um, to okay. a YouTube YouTube uh, video of it, and it's uh, it's it's totally bizarre, but it's really funny at the same time. <laughs> it's I, like that. I, 
I'm I'm excited to see that. I I always <laughs> love uh, anything that's just surreal comedy. For sure, man, that's awesome. Uh, now, um, switching gears quite suddenly, um, what's the saddest comic or most upsetting moment in a comic that you've read? As soon as you say sad comic, the first book I think of is Astro City. Uh, because I think no comic does superhero stories with pathos better than Astro City does. Uh, like, I, 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 at first I was going to say the one half issue, Astro City number one half, the mm. nearness of you. Um, which is a it's it's more of a romantic heartwarming story in the end but it it starts out as sad it's about a you know it's a tragic story about a man whose wife died and then he forgot she existed um but i think my actual answer is um there's a two issue story in astro city 47 and 48 of the most recent series where uh, a guy finds a dog and like adopts this dog. And then the dog becomes a superhero named G dog. And then spoiler alert, the dog dies and it is heartbreaking. It's the worst. Yeah. Anything where the dog dies is going to, is going to get you. Uh, is going to emotionally yeah. manipulate you. So I I think I'll go with the uh, the Astro Sto- Astro City story with G Dog. Totally, and that's that's one comic that I've I haven't read, but um, <clears throat> I certainly um, would like to. So um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take up that um, that challenge and and try not to cry on issue forty eight. <laughs> I I've, it's gonna be tough. You're gonna have a hard time. <laughs> exactly, no doubt, no doubt. Because you're quite right. It's like, like dogs dying in stories is like the worst. It's it's even worse than you know humans dying in some yeah, ways. Yeah. I mean, it really that, pulls that, it. Yeah, that infamous Futurama episode uh, <laughs> is, is it just it it absolutely breaks your heart and uh, that G dog. Astro City story does the same thing. Straight up, man. Straight up. Um, and then uh, shifting gears once once again. Uh, what's the scariest comic or most horrifying moment in a comic that you've read? I think one of the hardest things to do in comics is actually be scary, because horror more than any other genre. I mean. Humor also relies on timing, but I, horror really, really relies on timing and pacing and slowly revealing the scary thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I really think when a comic can pull off horror, because the whole thing about comics is as a reader, you're reading it on your own time. You're, you're, mm-hmm setting the pace of the story yourself. You can read as fast or as slow as you want to. So I think it's really tough to pull off. And I think perhaps the best example of making a comic scary through atmosphere and story and art and all of those things 
is the Alan Moore run on Swamp Thing. And I especially think the uh, the scene in Swamp Thing number 21, where Alec, where Swamp Thing, who has believed himself to be Alec Holland the, since his origin, discovers that Alec Holland is dead. There is no Alec Holland anymore. Swamp Thing just thinks it's Alan Holland, Alec Holland. Um, and, and then Swamp Thing's reaction to that, the way he chases the scientist who tells him that down after the, he's told this, uh, it's, it's like chilling in a way that's not just boo, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It, it's actually builds like, tension and yeah. kind of, yeah. Um, atmosphere, as you said before. And well, and it also just raises an existential question. Like, mm-hmm. you know, what if you're not what you think you are? You just believe it. Yes. Uh, so I, yeah, that story I think is 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 my top pick for that. Nice, it's a classic. Um, yeah, no, very, very, very worthy of that spot. Um, and then uh, moving on to my favorite question, and that is, what is your favorite cover? I thought about some i don't know dark horse not dark horse comics but like dark horse in the sense of like not known or mm-hmm. or yeah. you know obscure picks for this mm-hmm. i kind of ultimately decided that it's got to be a classic and it's got to be one that has been imitated over and over and over again because it's such mm-hmm. an iconic image and i think the winner for me in that regard is Amazing Fantasy number fifteen, yeah, where you you get everything, not everything you need to know about Spider Man, but a lot about what you need to know about Spider Man from one single image of him swinging around, carrying a guy like a criminal, uh, and you see that costume, that like super super iconic costume, mm-hmm. and that cover has been recreated and parodied and homaged hundreds, if not thousands of times by this point. And I think it's just, it might be the best single image introduction introduction to a character I've ever seen. Yeah. And I, I could, I just, I can't imagine at the time what you would have thought seeing that on a newsstand, you know, as a, as a child kind of, you know, seeing that for the first time, thinking, "Oh my God, who is this? It's amazing." Yeah, because um, you know, of course, like these days, I mean, you know, we are bombarded with absolutely incredible images um, all of the time. But kind of way back then, um, this would have been completely mind blowing. Yeah, I, I I agree. It's. I, I what's interesting is I think it is at least somewhat an homage to um the cover maybe the cover of the first issue of Detective Comics or no mm-hmm. not the Detective Comics 27 the introduction of Batman right. where he is also swinging around and carrying mm-hmm. a criminal under his arm 
Right. Uh, but I think it's like a refinement and perfection of that idea. Mm. Even more so. Yeah. No. It's uh, it's super cool, and uh, as you say, absolute classic. Um, it's uh, stood the test of time. So uh, another another great pick, Matt. Very good. Um, now moving on to our next question, and that is, what comic do you repeatedly read the most? I don't reread that much, to be honest. I I did more when I was younger, but I think. As an adult, I really have this mindset of I want to take in new things. I want to read new comics. I want to watch new movies. I want to see new shows, read new books. I I want to put new information in my brain. So mm-hmm. it's really hard for a comic to reach the level of something where I say, I want to give that another read. I want to reread that. The stuff that I end up probably rereading the most because I find the most opportunity to see stuff I didn't notice the first time mm-hmm. or get a different perspective on the story is almost all Grant Morrison comics. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the one that is not only, it, it has all that depth, but also it just makes me feel good to read it is all-star superman all all 12 Mm -hmm. issues of all-star superman um because not only is it deep and uplifting and just like a beautifully crafted comic i also think it is kind of the most things in all kind of built into one single book um because it's got like smaller stories within the broader story and uh, you know, the kind of ground level Superman stuff and the kind of super big sci-fi Superman stuff and a real encapsulation of who Superman is and what he's about. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I've read that one certainly more than anything else. Yeah. No, it's, again, it's another it's another absolute classic, and um, as you say, when it's a story that kind of yeah is uplifting, ultimately, then it's um, uh, yeah, you you want to get back into that place of having hope for the future, <laughs> for sure, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, oh, that's great. Um, and then following that, uh, what's the most meaningful comic to you? If people. If anyone listening to this is a listener to War Rocket Ajax, then they know the answer to this. It is the number one comic on the Every Story Ever list uh, that Chris and I have put together. And I think Chris would have put it at number one, but I I also had considerable influence on it being number one. Um, It is one of the original Amazing Spider-Man stories. Uh, from Amazing Spider-Man numbers 32 and 33, which those two issues are called If This Be My Destiny and The Final Chapter, mm-hmm. um, which is in many ways a pretty run-of-the-mill Dr. Octopus story. Uh, Dr. Octopus, Aunt May is in danger. You, you probably know it if you know anything about Spider-Man. Yes. But it has it has that one moment 
that makes it incredibly special to me and our best story on that list. Cause it's, it's the story where Spider-Man is buried under or trapped under a huge piece of machinery and he can't lift it up and he tries and tries and tries to lift it up. And he, he just can't, get it to happen until he thinks about Aunt May and how Aunt May is in danger and how he has responsibility for her and has, you know, all this love for her as the person who raised him. And it's through that, like willing himself to do it and the, all those emotional feelings that he finally gets the strength to lift the machine off of him. And it's got that panel where he says, I did it as he's, <laughs> lifting the machinery off of himself. And it's just like, if you, if you want to get me with a superhero story, put them in almost, you know, in, in circumstances that seem impossible to overcome. And then through the goodness of their soul, they are able to overcome that circumstance. And uh, you'll get me every single time. You bet, man. You bet. Yeah. Um, it's a, I mean, it's a masterclass in kind of building up um, the the moment. Yeah, because you see, so there, there's so many pages of him not being able to do it. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's if if he had just picked it up immediately, it wouldn't have any of the impacts. No, not at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, it requires that kind of the struggle, um, and I guess kind of like the idea behind that obviously is to is to just show young people the the that you know you 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 can struggle, but you know if you persevere, you can you can overcome almost anything. Yeah, probably. it's um, it's, it's cool. amazing and it's such a good story. Yeah, totally. No, very cool. Very cool. Um, and then uh, again, following following that, what's the most underrated comic? Uh, th- this is going to sound like a curveball. It, it's an annual mm-hmm. from like forty years ago, but it is to me, it is a story that is like the epitome of Marvel Comics and what Marvel Comics is and should be, and it's also very similar in many ways to that amazing Spider-Man story I just talked about, but this one's about the thing. Uh, it's an issue of uh, Marvel two and one. It's actually Marvel two, Marvel two and one annual number seven. And it is the issue where the thing gets invited to face off against the uh, alien boxing champion. Who's actually named the champion. <laughs> awesome. And they have a boxing match and the champion just beats the ever living crap out of the thing. And the thing goes down on the mat and he's like face down on the mat and he's, you know, beaten. And the champion is just telling him, uh, to stay down cause he's beaten and he doesn't want to hurt him anymore. And the thing just gets up and says, I can't, I can't stay down because I'm just too big and ugly and stupid to know any better. <laughs> and 
he gets up and tries to fight the champion again, um, which is another, you know, it's, it's what superheroes heroes are to me at their best, where it's like, even when it seems like everything is against them and they're absolutely bound to fail, they get up and keep trying because it's the only thing they can do. It's like, absolutely part of their nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, so nobody besides Chris and me on War Rocket Ajax seems to ever talk about this comic book. Uh but we love it and I I think it's one people should like go find on Marvel Unlimited and just read. Yeah. For sure. Um and that and that's what I plan to do. Um yeah. so thank you very much for the recommendation. That's one that I haven't read. Um <laughs> so I'm I'll, I'll I'll get on it straight away. <laughs> good <laughs> excellent uh now uh we're coming coming to the end um of the of the of the questions in the upper level of the uh of the fire station and this uh this last one in regards to comics is if you could only take one comic into the apocalypse which would it be uh it's one i've already mentioned it's my most reread comic and i would be happy to keep reading it even more uh it's all-star superman awesome great choice and then uh alongside that what weapon tool or useful item would you like to take with you into the apocalypse as well uh i think for my particular setup and and the kind of the situation i've built for myself with the fire station and everything um the best thing to have uh, to avoid the zombies or kind of stay one step ahead of the zombies would be uh, some kind of walkie-talkie or radio system mm-hmm. to stay in communication with whoever's still at the fire station. Like when you leave, to be able to get into communication with whoever's at the fire station to let them know, I'm on my way back. Be ready to pull me up and get me back on the upper floor as soon as I get back. So like a set of walkie talkies or, or, or radios is what I think I would uh, want. Very smart. Very sensible. In fact, Matt, it's, (laughs) it's, it's not a, um, I don't know, like a crowbar duct tape to an ax or something. (laughs) You know, we yeah. just come up before <laughs> but, uh... yeah i i i i have doubts as to my ability to use that kind of thing but i at least know how to talk <laughs> into a microphone yes absolutely very much so uh well matt d wilson thank you very much for sharing your comics for the apocalypse it's been a real pleasure thank you for having me i i really really appreciate it this has been a blast excellent uh and for the listeners um where's the best place for them to find you online uh you can find links to basically everything I do at mattdwilson.net. Uh, it will actually take you to a Tumblr page that has links to like all my social media presences, which are mostly either the Matt D. Wilson or Matt D. Wilson. Uh, you can find links to the books I mentioned, um, the Supervillain Handbook, the Supervillain Field Manual, Supreme Villainy, uh, Everything Will Be Okay, the link to the soup zoop campaign is there links to all my podcasts are there 
so that's kind of the the one stop shop for uh, for everything for me. Magic, amazing. Well, Matt, uh, best of luck with the rest of the campaign. Um, looks like you're, you're going to absolutely smash your target, um, which you, you've surpassed already. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the the more support, the better. So um, onwards and upwards, my friend. I I appreciate it a lot, Sam. And uh, thanks again for having me on. No problem. You take care, man. You too. Bye. Thanks again to Matt for being on Comics for the Apocalypse. It was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review for us on iTunes or Spotify or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Matt's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all our own links to various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit Comic Scene's website at comicscene.org for comic news and other fun sequential art stuff. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the near future, I'll see you next time. Bye for now.